Welcome to the Resume Storyteller, bringing you interviews with industry experts, regular folks who tested the job search waters and succeeded, and strategies to tell your story and land you job interviews. Here's your host, Virginia Franco. Hey guys, I am so, so excited to have with me today career and workplace relationship coach, David Lee. He is a career coach and a workplace consultant who has been involved in the resilience field for over 30 years. A three-time career changer himself, he provides career counseling and outplacement services through Heard It Work Associates to people involved in job search who care deeply about finding meaningful work. His background includes work in the addictions field as a counselor, and he's passionate about physical fitness, healthy nutrition, and the application of wisdom, traditions, and mindfulness practices in today's complex world. David has presented at conferences and meetings throughout North America and Australia, and he is the author of over 100 articles and book chapters on individual and organizational performance. David, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah. So you heard my brief, brief intro, but your career is long and um, super diverse. So can you give us an overview of how you came to be in the role that you're in today? Yeah, it's such a, I think, a great example of why, you know, those of us in this field are so encouraging of our clients to have conversations, to network, because you never know what's, you know, the possibilities that are out there. Yeah. So for the last 20 plus years, I've been primarily involved with the other side of the employment equation. And more specifically, writing, speaking, training about what managers and leaders can do to create a workplace where employees want to come to work and are able to do their best work with, with this kind of the special angle of understanding that the more we know about human nature, the more we can bring out the best in people. So taking principles of human nature from a wide variety of science fields to help managers and leaders become, I think of like becoming people whispers, like Cesar Milan is a, is a dog whisperer. And I love that you, I mean, you, and you have seen the, the challenges that, that is on the other side in terms of attracting and retaining top talent. You got it. And also just speaking to that, also it really has helped me working with my younger clients about what managers really look for in an employee and what drives them crazy mm-hmm. and how to make sure, you know, they're one and not the other. But the, the career piece came out of a chance conversation I had with a friend and colleague who mentioned about this opportunity at Hard at Work Associates. And I had been really longing for doing more coaching work, even though I had burned out of being an addictions counselor and, and actually the second yeah. part of my therapy career, I work with trauma survivors. So oh, you know, wow. pretty and yeah, pretty intense work. So even though I burned out on that, I missed seeing the impact of my work. So, you know, if you're giving seminars or speaking at conferences, you know, the audience, it looks happy, they act happy, but you don't know if it really You don't see it in action. No, I get that. I'm a former social worker. Um, so oh, wow. completely understand that desire to work one-on-one and see your see things come to fruition. 
Awesome. So you totally get it. You got it. And so I leapt at this opportunity. It was so neat because I can't remember if it was after doing a couple job shadows with Barbara Babkirk, who owns the firm, or after a first couple of sessions with clients. But I remember this part thinking, like, oh my God, why didn't I think of this 20 years ago? I love this work. Well, who knew it was a thing? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You started, was it after the last recession, right? After the last recession. But yeah, I've been doing, you know, I've been helping people with their careers for ages. I had no idea anyone did it for a living. So most of us, so many people are like that. They they want to be, do meaningful work and, and make an impact, but they don't really recognize, they don't know what's how that translates in the employee and the job seek job searcher job search experience. You got it. So you joined when did you move over to the other side then to our side? Well I still I still do my my sort of corporate work, um, but it was three years ago when I started at Hard at Work Associates. Oh I see. Okay. Um, so I how you and I connected was your uh, article that you'd written on the six R's to tell me the exact title again. Now I'm completely spacing on it. It was the six R's for job search resiliency. Uh, that's pretty close. I changed the title several times. I, yeah, I've got the um, my hard copy, but I think I even changed it from there. Six ways to boost your resilience during your pandemic job search. That was the that's original was. title. Okay. I think I tweaked it a little bit. Um, well, I loved it. it. It resonated with me. Um, I felt like, regardless pandemic or no, I felt like what you wrote was applicable. It was very, it's very much an evergreen article. But what I um, what stood out to me is that you said that our level of resilience really has a, a profound effect on our ability to pers- persevere during ups and downs of job search. Um, and I'd love to hear. How how does having how does having a stronger resiliency or conversely a lack thereof what are the impacts on job search? Because job search is very it's it's traumatic for a lot of people. Absolutely, yeah. So the sort of the I'll do the short, super short answer, an analogy, and then the four component components of resilience and how that plays in. Yeah. So the, the super short version is resilience affects every aspect of how effective a person is in their job search and the impact of the job search on their emotional well-being and and their life. And so analogy that I think might be helpful for people, I think of resilience as being sort of like emotional, mental, and spiritual fitness. And so using fitness principles to make sense of the impact that resilience has. And so one of the ways of using like a fitness um, metaphor is I think about in the world of athletics, especially at the elite level, there are uh, there's a, a career called strength and conditioning coach, mm-hmm. and then there's a career called sports psychologist. And so you think about with a strength strength and conditioning coach, their job, regardless of the athlete's specialty area and the special skills that they have to have for their sport, they know that for that person to perform well, they need to have a strong body, they need to have endurance, and they need to have flexibility. And you're right. And, that is that is. 
regardless of what sport they choose. Exactly. Skills matter. Exactly. And so you think of it as those are a multiplier. And so to quickly jump over to the job search person, their knowledge, their skills, their um, ability to communicate effectively, all of those are profoundly affected by their emotional strength and endurance, mental strength and endurance, spiritual strength and endurance. And so the more you you dial up your resilience, the more those things are in place. And then just to borrow from the sports analogy or the athletics analogy with a sports psychologist, at the elite level of sports, oftentimes the biggest difference is the mental game. And so with resilience, there's this huge mental, there's a mental and physical game, if you will, set of skills mentally and physically that we need to have in place so we can bring to bear all that we have. So we show up in the most confident, optimistic, pleasant to be around way so that we are able to get ourselves to do the things we know we need to do, et cetera. So before I launch into the four components, anything that you want to say about yeah, that? No, I would love to hear if the impact you've seen um, of COVID on people's resiliency levels um, compared to, I mean, you've been doing this for a while, but compared to maybe what you saw during 2008 or you know during other times. Yeah, the thing about, about COVID that really hit me, so I... And I think the inspiration, if I remember correctly, to this article came out of doing a series of resilience webinars. It was about, I don't know, three or four months into COVID for this healthcare institution that had to furlough a bunch of of their employees. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found myself thinking about is how typically when I'm teaching about resilience, again, using that fitness uh, metaphor is the importance of balancing activities that challenge us, that make us step outside our comfort zone because they help us get stronger and more confident and more comfortable with uncertainty. Balancing that with recovery activities. And one of the things that really hit me with, with the pandemic is the challenge factor is so dialed up with, you know, the, not just the, the, um, you know, a lot of people working from home and trying to, to homeschool their children yeah. and balance all that. Um, the worries about the future in general, the future of their jobs. So huge uncertainty level. What really hit me was the workouts, if you will, are, you know, exponentially more challenging. And one of the things that we know in the fitness world is the more, the more strenuous the workout, i.e. the bigger the challenge, the more we need to balance it with more recovery. Re- exactly. Exactly. And so just, it really hit me. I need to emphasize more in my work, more of the recovery and, and people really be more intentional about activities that help them offset all the challenges that this brings. Well, you know, that leads me to sort of my next question and maybe we'll get into it. But, you know, in terms of those quote unquote workouts where you get, you 
step outside your comfort zone to build that resilience. Do you do you recommend sort of big, huge steps, you know, teeny ones, short engagements um, or longer ones? Um, or has that changed since COVID? Yeah, I'm a big believer. I don't know if you remember this movie. It's a long time ago. The uh, movie, What About Bob? Do you remember that? Oh my gosh. With Bill Murray is this patient of uh, Richard Dreyfuss is the psychiatrist. And- oh, vaguely. I was, yeah, I was thinking, what about Mary? But that's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, very different. Okay. Uh, that's funny. So Richard Dreyfuss is this psychiatrist who writes this best-selling book called Baby Steps. And uh, Bill Murray is this like incredibly um, neurotic guy mm-hmm. and everything, he's phobic of everything. And anytime he's nervous, has anxiety about something, Richard Dreyfuss's character, his answer for everything is baby steps, baby steps, Bob. Like that's his solution for everything. But there's real wisdom in that. So to me, it's everything in life needs to be personalized, like to figure out what works for you, for your unique personality, body type, physiology, et cetera. But the kind of the overarching thing is to figure out what's outside my comfort zone that is helping me grow and develop, but not so much of a leap that I'm not going to do it. And I'm sure you do this with clients too. It's like, depending on how confident they are, social anxiety, et cetera, let's say networking or informational interviews. I have some clients where I'll just ask them to start like uh, doing an informational interview with their parents or their aunts and uncles or friends just to, you know, again, just a baby step. Yeah. Get your feet wet a little bit. So make it achievable without setting you up to be sort of making it insurmountable. Exactly. And and actually, if I could just add one little quick thing related Mm -hmm. to that, Um, back to sort of the mental game of resilience, one of the little mantras I try to remember to say to myself, and I'll encourage clients, is this, discomfort is my friend. Because you think, and I know you know this, is you think about it, whenever we're uncomfortable, that means we're stepping outside our comfort zone, which means we're growing. If we're comfortable, then we're stagnating. So instead of saying, oops, I'm uncomfortable, like I should avoid it. It's like, no, discomfort is my friend. That means I'm growing. Yeah. And it's sort of turning that little that little pit you get in your stomach when something's overwhelming, Say recognizing that as a, an excitement pit, not a pain pit in your stomach. Yes. I love that. Boy, I tell you, one of the first times I ever did public speaking, I remember it was actually to this group that was um, newly divorced people. And as I was getting ready, I'm like, all about me. Like, I hope I come across right. You know, I hope I bungle this. And, and two things hit me and, and like rapid breathing, et cetera. And I'm sharing this for the, the person who's getting ready to go on a job interview to be thinking about their version of this. And two things hit me. One was, hey, this isn't about you. You know, you're here to be helpful to these people. And the other thing was like, oh my God, this rapid heart rate, rapid br- um, mm-hmm. breathing, that's the physiology of excitement. Yeah. That's not your body going into cardiac arrest. I love it. Exactly. So I just switched it to like, I'm excited. You know, in my head, I'm excited. 
versus like trying to tamp it down and like, no, I'm calm, I'm calm. It's like, no, I'm not calm. But instead of like, oh, I'm afraid, turn it to I'm excited and use that energy to be a more dynamic interviewee, you know, for let's say the job interview. Love. So yeah, it's all about reframing. Now I love that. Um, So the six R's that you list to offset the emotional impact of a challenging time and to balance out the workouts are rest, recovery, refuge, routines, rituals, and relationships. You got it. So can we just walk through them? And and I have questions for all of them, but um, can we start with one and sort of work our way down? Absolutely. And if we have time, I'll add a seventh one that came from a Seven hours. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, So rest real simply is something that we all know, yet I think oftentimes a lot of people don't appreciate that it's not a nice to know. It's like the foundation of everything is good enough sleep. And I know there's a difference between okay, I got to get enough sleep and being able to sleep well, like there's a whole mm-hmm. sleep hygiene yeah. feel. So um, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be like sleep shaming people because, you know, there's times I have really hard time having a good night's yeah. sleep. But it's just realizing, especially back to your question about um, how does the pandemic change things? Any very challenging time, just like if you're training for a marathon, we need more sleep. Our nervous system needs more downtime to restore itself. And so without belaboring the point, doing whatever we can to get high quality and enough sleep. Simple so, as that. No, all right. So I have one that I haven't gotten eight hours of sleep every night in since 1986. I mean, it's been forever. So I, I've had this argument with my husband years. What are your thoughts on sleep banking? So what if I get 10 hours on a Saturday night? Will that offset me only getting five another night? Yeah. Here's my understanding is that there's technically no that sleep activity. But here's (laughs) the thing that experientially, like, man, you feel great, have a great night's sleep. It's better than not going for the 10 hours. But one of the things that I think of as an analogy, it's sort of like if you have five days of junk food diet and then two days following of healthy food, that's certainly better than seven days of junk food. Right, true. The biochemical effect of the previous, there's a carryover. And there's just so much really significant research about the biochemical impact of enough sleep versus not enough sleep that anything you can do to get enough sleep is worth it and how do you how do you tell if you're fully rested i i don't know that i would know if i am yeah. or not anymore <laughs> i'm not in touch with that at all I'm sort of, um, you know, for better or for worse, sort of like a canary in the coal mine when it comes to sleep. I just feel horrible and am really unproductive if I don't get enough sleep. So like what, like when I do day-long seminars and a lot of times there's a lot of travel involved and not enough right. sleep, then I get tanked up on coffee. 
um, you know, not ideal, but it's better than, you know, right, right. Get you through. For the audience. But, um, if I'm working at home, um, if I, if I'm able to, I'll like take a nap in the afternoon and the creativity boost, the energy boost, yeah. the happy boost, you know, is it makes it worth it. Okay. So. Oh, so because I just got a uh, sleep number bed, and it registers how well you slept every night. And I, I've almost decided to pitch it because sometimes I'll wake up and go feel great, and then I'll look at it and I'll say that I, you know, didn't sleep as well as I thought, and then I'm exhausted, and then conversely, you know, the reverse happens. So, um, yeah, yeah, but I hadn't thought about how it impacts creativity because it's one thing to just get through your day; it's another to elevate your thinking, right? Big time. And again, that's why for me, I'm so, um, f- at least for myself, so adamant about it because the ability to think creatively and be productive, it's like night and day, good sleep, not good sleep. Yeah, I know. Need to work on that. Um, okay, so let's go to number two, recovery. Um, I love what you said that exercise is queen, but recovery is king. Um, What does recovery look like with job search? Yeah. So I want to give credit where credit is due. So one of my fitness mentors, Scott Sonnen said that, and he's, there are many other ones who, um, who talk about that. In fact, one of the sayings that really impacted me was it's better to undertrain by 20% than overtrain by 5%. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, so back to, oh, um, actually I can't remember if I mentioned challenge recovery cycle. Did I mention that already? No, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. So one of the big principles in um, building strength and endurance is challenge followed by recovery. So anybody who lifts weights knows that the weightlifting part breaks down your muscle fibers. It's the recovery where they build up stronger. So not enough recovery, you end up tearing your body down and getting weaker, prone to injuries and actually illness. And so how mental and emotional and spiritual recovery looks is I think of it both in a micro and a macro way. So challenge recovery. So in the micro way, it's throughout the day having little moments of recovery And so, for instance, let's say I have a Zoom coaching session. When I'm done, I might go out for a 10-minute walk or do some push-ups or talk with a friend, something that I'm not sitting, I'm not in front of the computer. Or it could be, let's say you're working on a resume and you've got the furrowed brow and like, what's the perfect verbiage? Your brain can only handle that for so long. And so taking a break and maybe like, um, I don't know if watch, well, say watching a funny video. I don't know if you want to be looking at something. So these can be small, these can be small breaks. It doesn't need to be, let me take three days off after I do this one thing. Exactly. Right. We're talking micro. Micro. If you want, I will send you, um, a link to, I think I'd sent it to you earlier. I've got a, like a 15 or 20 minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. That on, YouTube video? Yeah. On, yeah. on power ups that, um, I heard about it from Jane McGonigal and author of Super Better. And 
of all the research and pra- and practices I've learned and practiced over the years in resilience, it's possibly the most simple, powerful, actionable technique there is. And, and so it's little bursts of activity that boost your spirits. So yeah, a three-minute funny video, a short conversation with a friend, again, like a walk around the block, uh, you know, whatever. So micro bursts. And also back to creativity and productivity, one of the things that I try to be really conscious of is if if I'm doing like writing an article or something, and I start to wear down creatively, instead of trying to grind it out, switch it up by um, doing, whether it's doing something physical or doing something administrative, or again, having a, a conversation with somebody. So the something t- where you're not tapping into that creative Exactly, exactly. So the type of activity you mix it up. That's another way of okay. designing recovery into your day. So, so those are micro recoveries. In that, in that um, short video, we'll go into more depth. The macro recovery is more like what do you design into your week or your month or your um, uh, year? <laughs> you know, kind right. of thing. And when I say and those design, are like vacations or retreats or something like that. Yeah. Or like a, a great example for me, um, I think I wrote about it in the article, is like there have been times where, let's say I've got a presentation that I need to um, work on, but it's like, oh man, I'm not coming up with anything. I'll go out surfing and like part of me feels guilty, like I'm being a slacker. But just the joy I get from surfing and all the great biochemicals that happen from that, when I go back to preparing, it's like, I'm in overdrive, both creatively and productively. So not guilt tripping ourselves for yeah. like reading some from the novel or watching that Netflix series or whatever. Um, so that's, yeah, more extended periods of time over extended periods of time. And you're saying that we need both. We need both. And here's the research thing that's so cool, Virginia, and, and it says it in this video, is that this is research from Dr. Stephen Porges, who's uh, famous for his polyvagal theory. Well, famous in the trauma field and resilience field. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, a, whole, a homemade a household uh, name. Yeah. A household name. There we go. Yeah. Is that what they found was the little bursts of positive emotion. So the little micro recovery moments, that's what has the biggest impact on the vagus nerve, which has the biggest impact on a resilience level. It's not the Hawaiian vacation once a year. Mm. So we don't have to like, oh, I can't afford to have a vacation. Do those little micro ones. And here's the other thing that's super cool. And especially back to your question about the pandemic is what the research shows is that people have what's called a strong polyvagal tone. Their vagus nerve is working like really well and i.e. they're really resilient. People with strong poly, uh, the vagal tone, they don't have fewer negative emotions throughout the day than anybody else. They just have more positive ones. So the job seeker, let's say that they get turned down for the job interview or 
they didn't get the return you know call that they had expected whatever and they're and they're bummed out about it they're not like oh man i'm um you know ruining my 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 vagal tone or my and my resilience right. levels like no just add some positive micro bursts of emotion and you strengthen your vagal tone you strengthen your resilience and you boost your mood oh that's fascinating yeah. um all right let's move on to refuge so we know the refuge gives you shelter and safety in the, in a storm. Um, what does refuge look like for a job seeker, and how do you how do you build it? Yeah, where's the most shelter? <laughs> and so, when I think of refuge, I think of a literal shelter, a mobile shelter and a state of mind. And I'd like to read this wonderful quote I heard years ago. Okay. Yeah, from Joseph Campbell, which I'm sure you know, um, the mythologist who who identified the concept of the hero's journey. And actually, the hero's journey is something that any job searcher, especially if it's been grinding on, the hero's journey would be a great thing to read about, watch a YouTube video to help them feel more heroic Ooh, in their okay. quest. Yeah. So here's what Joseph Campbell said. You must have a room or a certain hour or so a day where you don't know what was in the newspapers that morning. You don't know who your friends are. You don't know what you owe anybody. You don't know what anybody owes you. This is a place where you can simply experience and bring forth what you are and what you might be. This is the place of creative incubation. At first, you may find that nothing happens there, but if you have a sacred place and use it, something eventually will happen. Isn't that oh. wonderful? Yeah, I want that. How do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so just a couple quick ideas. So a place. So some people, it'll be like a place in their house. They'll have a, like a little altar or a, a part of uh, whether home office or bedroom or whatever of just objects that evoke a sense of of mystery or encouragement or beauty, whatever, you know, pictures, objects, et cetera, that just be okay. there. So it could be that. It could just be a time of day. And this will sort of morph into, uh, in a moment, we talk about ritual, where the person takes like 15 minutes of silence or maybe for some people at home, maybe they have little kids, that's that's not going to happen. Right, right. So, you know, so maybe it's um, driving to work or driving to the grocery store in silence and just soaking that up. So um, it, or, or like for me, it's either like walking on the beach or walking in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard the term uh, forest bathing. It's a Japanese term. No. Yeah. So it's just recognizing the energetic infusion that we get from being in nature. And so the Japanese actually have a word for that. There's actually like, that's one of their self-care practices. Okay. So it can be a physical place in your house. It could be just any place where you get that quiet. Um, and then it, it, I, I think you're, you know, nature, whether it's a beach or it's a woods or it's your backyard, you got it. Actually, nature. Okay. I will add one more. This is a little, you know, this is 
like idiosyncratic, not like I'm the only one who does this, but it, this works for me. It might not work for everybody. Is I love the music of Hildegard von Bingen, who is this 13th century Christian mystic. Mm. Um, yeah, she is amazing. Um, if you Google or, you know, Google her, Hildegard von Bingen, she's like, she was a botanist, uh, uh, herbalist, uh, psychic, uh, you know, every, you know wow. one of those people could do everything. Yeah. yeah. But her music, when I, it just transports me and it, it, um, you know, feels like a connection with the divine, if you will. And so people finding music probably without words. That's another great yeah. way. Yeah, that's so funny. I was just looking up Mozart for um, Mozart for studying. Yes. Um, there's a lot of instrumental music. I, I found a lot of. I don't know if this counts as refuge, but it clears my mind. Um, I listen to white noise, or blue yes. noise to be exact, but yes. um, it, it feels like silence. I know it's not, but. Absolutely. Well, actually, my version of that is um, I got a really, uh, I bought a, a few months ago, a really good pair of noise canceling earbuds, mm-hmm. Bluetooth earbuds, and I'll put them in and not have anything going just because of that extra dose of silence. Yeah. Yeah. And Virginia, if I could go off topic for one second, yeah, of course. because it's, um, it's really relevant to the job searcher. And I'm, I'm going to write a whole article on how to prepare yourself mentally and emotionally for Zoom job interviews. But, but one of the things, back to music, that I find incredibly helpful, whether it's getting ready for an interview or getting ready for a presentation or stimulating creativity, is to play whatever music you find inspiring. So I'll put in YouTube, like, inspirational music or actually um, epic battle music. <laughs> I discovered that has all kinds of like really intense... Well, and people have like running tapes that they use, you're right. Yes, to exactly. get you, Yeah, exactly. whatever you find inspired, right? Exactly. Um, that's funny. I think about the music that my teenagers listen to when they're studying. I'm like, that, that's what you find <laughs> for your to be okay. Um, uh, so let's move on to routine and rituals. Um, yes. And what I was sort of reflecting on when I was reading your article is that there's people, there's some people that are just huge to-do list people, which that's what I am. Um, I need to cross everything off. And then there's other people that just thrive in that fly by the seat of your pants sort of environment. Um, I'd love to hear why you advocate for routines and rituals. And I'm curious to know if you feel like rituals need to vary depending on your tolerance or resistance to structure. Oh, that is such an awesome question. So, um, yes, back to individualized approach that okay. I think anytime anybody hears any recommendation, that to me, there's like a, like all of life is a conversation and it's a conversation between of these ideas, what works for me? So, so no one size fits all. Right. So it's, it's, Owning your individuality, like, yeah, that doesn't work for me, but here's where the conversation comes into play. It's making a conversation. So conversation means listening too. So rather than like, oh, that wouldn't work for me, being open to experimenting, like, might this work for me? So that's sort of my, oh, and and I'll give you, 
Yeah, and I'll give you a personal example in a moment. So I'm actually a fly by the seat of my pants person. I, um, I'm one of those people that occasionally writes a to-do list and then I can't find my to-do list, <laughs> sadly. Uh, so in Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFP. Um, so, so you know, lots of P, lots of N. And so here's the, the, um, the method behind the madness or the why behind why that's so important. That again, tailoring our practices for the pandemic, that when you think about the pandemic has brought incredible upheaval mm-hmm. um, and incredible uncertainty. So remember, part of resilience is being able to respond flexibly and um, quickly to change. And also part of the change is uncertainty. And one of the things that really hit me as I started to reflect on the pandemic with all the upheaval and all the uncertainty back to the balance of challenge and recovery is that we need to balance that tremendous extreme with with an equal and opposite, if you will, emphasis yeah, on recovery. And part of that means ritual and routine. The Because COVID is so devoid of routines and ritual, this was so out of the norm. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Okay. So disruptive that I, I'm trying to find, let's see if I can um, find, okay, here's a quote from the article. And I, it's funny, um, when I noticed it, after it was printed, I thought there was some, um, it was also printed in a journal that, uh, a magazine rather, and I thought they misprinted it. And it turns out it was what I originally wrote, but I'm going to, I'm going to change what I originally wrote. The structure, predictability, and familiarity that routines and rituals bring to our lives helps to offset the uncertainty, unfamiliarity, and disorientation brought on by the pandemic. So that's the updated version. So that's why even though, again, I'm more of the fly by the seat of my pants kind of person, I recommend upping it. And I, I originally was going to just put routines. Well, if in the article, I put them together, but I still give them separate labels and they're really related. I, um, I think of a, um, you know, we all know what routines, doing the same thing the same way. So having a morning routine, like, so for me, I get up, I work out, I meditate. Um, I'll either read a little bit or write a little bit in my journal. Got to get back to doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so in, and like people who have kids, they, they know about how much kids need routines. That's actually another, that's another metaphor for people to think about in terms of why, even if they're not super structured in general, why they need routines right now, how, how upset kids get when their routines are broke, uh, are disrupted or even pets that there's a part of our brain that needs routine and it gets like freaked out, if you will, when we don't have enough structure. So routine helps calm that part of the brain down. So rituals, I think of as routines plus meaning. So I like that. Yeah. 
And I just recommend people Google routines and rituals and you can come across articles that go into the difference. So maybe routine might be um, you have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea in the morning. Like that's part of your thing or you do some stretching. Making it into ritual is if you bring more mindfulness to it or you bring, um, you know, intention, like what's my intention for the day or you... um you know, have some, some silence and meditation and asking like, what am I called to do? You know, that sort of thing. So yeah, it infused. So cough, cough, just a cup of coffee is routine. Coffee with silence would be a ritual. Coffee. Yeah. Coffee. Yeah. Simple as that. Coffee okay. with silence would be a ritual. Yeah. And coffee and silence plus asking a question. So like sometimes I'll remember to ask, um, or to have the intention to look on the, be on the outlook for opportunities to uplift people I interact with today. So that okay. could be a simple intention okay. that okay. makes it more of a ritual. Um, okay, that makes sense. And I think, you know, when I was thinking of routines, I wasn't thinking, I was thinking you meant like, you need to schedule two interviews a day or you need to reach out to 10 people. Um, you're talking about, routines and rituals to balance out the stuff that's outside of your comfort zone, which a cup of coffee, most people, even fly by the seat of your pants people are not going to be adverse to <laughs> a little bit of silence with coffee, right? There you go. And actually one of the things, and, and again, I can put together a resource list for you if, if you'd like with links and stuff that people, if people um, like go to YouTube and put in mm-hmm. Miracle Morning, That's a book by, I think its name is Hal Elrod. And he talks about interviewing incredibly productive, effective, successful people and how they all have a particular, their own unique morning routine Routine. that starts. That's called Miracle Morning. Yeah, Miracle Morning. Okay, cool. Cool. I'm going to check that out. And Um, that's more of what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. And that sets your day up, right? You got Um, it. Okay, so last R or second to last R now that you have the seven um, is relationships. So I've always felt like job search is not something that you should do solo um, in large part because I personally see success in strength, strength through numbers, right? Um, why do you champion relationships to build and maintain job search relationships? Yeah. So this actually harkens back to my days when I was involved in the mind-body medicine field and all the research showing the incredible impact good relationships have on health and well-being and, and resilience. And so especially when somebody, let's say somebody gets fired from a job and they're feeling Mm -hmm. shame and I'm the only one in the world who's ever been fired and they, you know, they isolate, they don't want to talk and and ask for support. It's like, oh, that's the last thing. You know, I get it why that's a natural response, but that's the last thing you need right now. Now's the time to, to reach out and, and um, invite those you know, emotionally safe, supportive people in your life to help sh- help you shoulder that burden. Uh, so huge factor in terms of resilience. And I guess one quick thing, and it makes me harken back to, I um, I love the podcast interview you did with Jack Kelly. 
And when you were both talking about people, let's say who've been fired, or maybe they've been slogging through the job search for a Mm -hmm. long time. And some of that, you know, anger, resentment is bleeding through. And that's getting in the way of their getting, you know, the job, you know, the job after the job right, interview, right. that sort of thing. And so, I mean, I'm going to write a whole article on that because that really inspired me. Like, I, I got to write about how, you know, how to deal with that. But one of the things I always try to think about in terms of helping, helping your friends help you shoulder the burden is to differ two things. One is, is to spread it around. So it's not just like one person being your go-to person. So you don't like wear them out. Right. But it's also one of the things I really try to be cognizant of is if I'm having a bad day or I'm struggling with something and I ask for support from a friend, I'm really conscious of not dumping negative vibes onto them. I share really openly about whatever my frustration is, but I also am conscious of like emotionally self-regulating so I'm not spewing anger or, uh, uh, you know, bitterness on them. Like, I'm sure you've had people, you've had the difference where somebody shares their, their trouble with you and the way they do it, you feel like activated and energized to help. And then there's others. It's like, almost like they're trying to bring you down with yeah. them. Yeah. It feels um, not toxic. Isn't the right word, but it, but perfect. No, perfect word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So that's, uh, and that's, you know, that I think is something to be really mindful of. So Uh, in terms of job search, what does the wrong kind of relationship look like? Man, um, I think it's any, uh, two things come to mind. Anybody who isn't able to be there for your pain and just tries to like tell you to bucket, you know, buck up or bucket, whatever that saying, buck up, buddy, you know, or like um, just spouts platitudes versus willing to, to be there with you. The flip side and and not like tell you, you shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The flip side though is somebody when you're ready for, and you can help them know, like, I just need to vent or right. I would right. really I'm not like looking your... for a solution right now. I'm in my pity party mode right, right. this second. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, so we also need friends who are willing to be respectfully, kindly challenging. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say challenging, again, I don't mean like in your face. No, but people that are, that are honest, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a balance. You need, you're right. You need people that are empathetic and validate your feelings. But then you do need people that are transparent with you and and can give you really frank feedback. Yes. There's definitely room for both. Absolutely. So what was it? What's the seventh? Oh, the seventh. I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, okay. uh, Deb Schuler um, added this in the comments section. Um, on my post, and she said, "What about reconnect?" And I love that. So, reconnect with your true self. Reconnect with though that still small voice inside, that voice of intuition. So, back where silence is so important. Mm-hmm. Reconnect with the things that you love doing 
you know, when you were a young person or maybe early in your career and you forgot like, oh my God, I've been so busy making a living. I forgot about all those things that bring me joy. And so actually kind of using the isolation of the pandemic as kind of like a retreat to reconnect with our true self. I love that. I had a guest on when I first started a couple of years back and I remember she said, she's like, oh, I know this is a little woo-woo, but you just always do gut checks yes. and listen to that and you use silence to do that because um, it won't, it will, I, she wasn't talking about it in the, in the sense of supporting recovery and resilience. She was more speaking to using it with, using it after every conversation and every step of job search because it um, helps you to, helps to direct your, your, your next steps. Yes. In fact, that. one of the reasons why I love um, reading scientific articles is it helps the, the things that people consider woo-woo. It helps. Well, it balances it. Yeah. It it brings data to it. And and here's, here's the deal with the gut check. There's this whole body of research showing that the gut has a direct line to the brain. The gut sort of like has its own brain and all the like um, neurotransmitters in the brain, there are versions of that in the gut. And so there's I a love reason. That. It's yeah. data-driven woo-woo. <laughs> I love it. Data-driven woo-woo. There you go. That's awesome. Uh, so, I mean, you've just listed seven, but if someone comes to you and says, I am, I've got to start job searching, it's the pandemic, what, what two tools do you feel that someone absolutely cannot be without during their journey? Yeah. So um, I'd like to do two and then one bonus. If All I, right. That's I, fine. Three is allowed. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one is learn to be skilled at using the mind-body connection to your favor, to your benefit. So in other words, get skilled at being able to shift yourself from feeling beleaguered, low energy, nervous, whatever emotional slash slash physiological state doesn't serve you, whether it's making calls, getting ready for the job interview, et cetera, learning how to use the mind-body connection to shift yourself into an empowered state, number one. And and, and that video clip has some of those. Mm -hmm. And then number two is get start now collecting and curating stories that you can use in your job interview. And a simple little tool that I've been using for like 30 years now is a story table. And it just, yeah, just a two column word doc or somebody wants to use Excel, two column Mm -hmm. Excel spreadsheet where each row is about a story and one cell, so two column, one Mm -hmm. cell is enough narrative that I could look at that, what the notes I wrote about that situation, I could read it two, three, four years from now and like, oh yeah, that, I, I remember that and I can tell it well. In the other cell to be searchable keywords. So 
Thank you. So deal with difficult people, managing change, um, multi, you know, whatever keywords are and skills in your profession. For me, I've used it over the years for giving presentations. Like if I want to speak up. No, but that's, about- that's brilliant because you're right. Standard behavioral interview questions are around certain themes. How do you deal with change? How do you manage difficult, difficult people? Exactly. Um, Oh, that's really smart. Exactly. Okay, Thank so you. mind-body connection, story table. Story What's the table. Bonus? <laughs> and the bonus is practice. When when you're feeling down and like, oh, I'm the only one in the world, you know, who got laid off or whatever, look for opportunities to uplift others. Look for opportunities to be helpful for others. It really does take you out of your mis- your own misery, right? Doesn't it? It's amazing. Doesn't it? And back to data-driven woo-woo, that mm-hmm. there's, ah, there's lots of research showing the biochemical shift that happens when we act altruistically, which therefore shifts our emotional state. So you got to look for opportunities to help others. So, so looking... Um, just the other day, um, I saw somebody in my feed who had opened to work. I hadn't talked with him for, I don't know, four or five years. Shot him a, a, a DM. Hey, notice open to work. Anything I can help you with, connect you, anybody I can connect you with, let me know. Just as simple well, and as this, that. And that's just a small, simple act. You don't need to go out and volunteer at a food bank, right? I love that. Um, And that's why I love job clubs because there's so much opportunity to give and give and take. Um, With COVID, a lot of the, I mean, they're all very virtual now, Um, but there's so much power in altruistic acts. You got to actually, I'm sorry. Yeah, that other thing you said about job clubs made me think about one of the other really, important reasons for doing that is you think about how that shifts your identity. So let's say mm-hmm. Sally's in the job club and she's like, oh my God, you know, Virginia, you're think looking for somebody who is in blah, blah field. I know, let me connect you up. In that moment and for hours or maybe days after, Sally's identity has shifted from poor, beleaguered, struggling to find a job, Sally, to Sally, you She's know, philanthropist. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I've told people that feel like they can't leave their job and are just miserable to do, find something where you're giving back, where you're, so your identity is not wrapped up in what you do for a living. Um, so time. sort of that same mindset. Absolutely. 100%. Oh, yeah. Um, so you wear a lot of hats, author, coach. Um, what is next for you? Um, assuming that we get out of this pandemic sooner <laughs> rather than later. Uh, yeah. Well, the um, this new project that I'm working on is is bringing together all the years of both personal and professional work I've done on resilience to um, new business called Resilient You. So you, like Papilla You, um, with little micro training sessions um, and then longer uh, training modules uh, for both job seekers and pe- employees and organizations to boost both individual and uh, for organizations, organizational resilience. 
Wow. Um, so if someone wants to follow you, you know, keep tabs on what's going on with Resilient You, I have listed, I've got your LinkedIn profile, your Hard at Work Associates um, website, and then your email on the bio. Is that Are those the best places to connect with you and keep up? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so Resilient You will be, that's what we'll hear about it, or definitely on your LinkedIn. Yeah, that'll well, be cool. David, thank you so much. You have given, I'm not job seeking, but you have given me advice that I feel like can carry me through the rest of this pandemic and certainly so much applicable advice for people that are going through the added the added challenge of job search during this challenging time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it and loved our conversation. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, you've, you've got my mind um, spinning right now. So... <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco. To learn more about storytelling strategies to catch the eye of today's online skim hiring and decision makers, please visit www.virginiafrancoresumes.com.